This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. I recently sat down in a Zoom interview with esteemed orchestral conductor, Gerard Schwartz. This was a relaxed conversation while I was at my vacation home in eastern Oregon. You know, it seemed the perfect locale while I was in the Pacific Northwest to speak with a man who, over 26 years, built the reputation of the Seattle Symphony Orchestra. We spoke about his incredible life, stepping out of the New York Philharmonic as an outstanding trumpet player and taking up the mantle of orchestral conductor. His 350 recordings, a 30-CD boxed set of his work, and dozens of international awards have defined his artistry. And now, as music director of the Palm Beach Symphony, he is charting new territory in his role, as I dubbed him, the architect of his own career. He is proud of the educational work that he has established worldwide and of his all-star orchestra, an orchestra that he developed to bring classical music mainstream to the public. Here in part two of this enjoyable conversation, Gerard Schwartz opens up about his work past and present and the indelible mark he leaves us with his PBS television broadcasts. We open and close the show today with music from the ballet suite Romeo and Juliet by Prokofiev with the Seattle Symphony. And in the middle of this interview, you will hear the third movement of the Schubert Symphony No. 9 with the New York Chamber Symphony, recently re-released by the Master Performers Series. You have to make your own way. And that's what I try to teach my students. Yes, certain things will come to you. When you're really young and if you're gifted, things will come to you. But then that stops, you know, and you have to find your own way. And I remember, you know, talking about Seattle. I was a music director of a, of a summer festival in New Jersey called the Waterloo Festival. And I had uh, two chamber orchestras. And my next step was to, to have a, a, full, a full-size symphony orchestra. And I was offered three positions at the same time. Uh, one was an orchestra that was very good. They wanted to status quo. They didn't want to do anything special. They were very happy. And to this day, they are like that. Then there was another orchestra, which was also very good, but had some personnel issues, some serious ones, including the concert master who happened to be a friend. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to an orchestra and start firing people. I won't do that. I, I'm just not that way. I don't, I don't. And then the third orchestra that was offered to me at the time was Seattle. And my manager at the time, a very famous guy named Shelley Gold, said, well, go to this one. We go to that one. But whatever you do, you don't go to Seattle. Seattle is a disaster. It, it's a guarantee failure. <laughs> you don't go there. <laughs> of course, when I conducted the orchestra I, and, and saw the community, I thought, wow, this, this has real potential. And they want to be great. Mm-hmm. Their desire mm-hmm. is to be an important orchestra, to play wonderfully. They're willing to work hard. They're willing to do anything they can do to make it a, a special place. And I thought, boy, that's for me. And so that's that's when I made that choice to go there. You and bet. I thought, you know, at the time, I thought it would be quick. I said, we'll we'll really develop the orchestra. We'll start making some recordings. And three, four years, boom, it's going to be 
dynamite. I tell the players, look, we keep working hard. We keep getting better. We can, the audience will grow and this and all, and boom, things will happen. Well, that's all true, except it didn't take three or four years. It probably took more like eight or 10 years. <laughs> that people started coming and they heard the different quality. People right. wanted to be in the auction. People wanted to stay. People practiced. You know, you start creating a repertoire and you start creating an identity for yourself. And, and I was lucky because I was, you know, when, when I went to Seattle, Microsoft had just begun. I mean, it was nothing. Okay. The only company, Amazon wasn't there. Starbucks was, you know, uh, but Boeing was the, was the only company we had. So you had no companies. Well, look what happened to that city. Mm-hmm. Those great companies and so many great companies. And so I was really lucky. I I with with Jody, with my wife, because she was very much a part of all this. We we hit uh, Seattle just at the at the right right time. time. Mm-hmm. It was poised to explode culturally, economically, in terms of business. It was the most exciting time. And uh, again, uh, it may not have happened, but it did. I mean, it's in a way the way I feel about Palm Beach now. Mm-hmm. Palm Beach is, is this beautiful community. It's really gorgeous, and, and it's a very wealthy community. And it's, it's, it's known to be a place where, where uh, the, the extremely rich will go to retire or spend the winter. Well, that's all changed or changing. It's become a real city, a real cultural center with a wonderful concert hall, with an, an excellent opera and ballet. And all of a sudden, it's starting to emerge as an important place and the orchestra is sensational. So uh, I, I believe, I mean, will it be the same as Seattle? Well, probably not because that's not what Palm Beach needs. They don't need me to help build Benaroya Hall or, or, or mm-hmm. a two week season or anything else. But it's, it, I mean, already it is in making such great strides artistically uh, and uh, in terms of, of what we're accomplishing. Uh, you know, we, this year alone, we've already done three television shows for, I mean, believe it or not, two of them are for C- CBS 12, a commercial station. When is classic wow. on a commercial station? I mean, the, the relationship Sinclair is the, is, is the parent company. I mean, the fact that, that we have this relationship that goes because we have a fabulous staff, a fabulous board, great musicians, and it's very exciting in a way. It's as exciting as it was for me when when we first went to Seattle. In a completely different way. You know, it's interesting. You talk about the commercial success here, and I know you've had great success on PBS and with all of your recording and now Behind the Baton, which is this delightful series that you've developed. Um, You know, in a place like Palm Beach, you can make this kind of magic happen. And the responsibility that, that, that the wealthy have for music and the arts is extraordinary. We, we, you see it on the streets in Palm Beach, Florida. And I have to say that that's one of the upsides of, of that area. So, yeah, again, you're lucky to be there. And it's warm, Jerry. It's not raining every day. <laughs> the weather's beautiful. But what's interesting, too, is we're, we're making a, a special, uh, uh, important impact educationally. We're now mm-hmm. starting a library of educational uh, concerts, not not young people's concerts like like Bernstein did, and not 
some of the things I've done uh, with the All-Stars, but rather you know, we just recorded um, a piece called The Shoebird by Sam Jones, which is a phenomenal story by Eudora Welty for children. And it, ah. you know, yes, it deals with the instance, but it, it deals with morals, it deals with ethical issues, it deals with who we are and what words mean. I mean, and so we're developing a whole series of these, and it's really quite extraordinary. It's a whole, it's a whole other world for orchestras. Uh, it's not to say that orchestras don't do children's concerts. Of course, they do children's concerts, but these are ones that will last forever. Remarkable, very significant, Jerry. Very significant. <laughs> see it in you, but are you ever going to slow down? I mean, as an architect, you're building things all the time. And I get the impression that your part of your, your energy gets a high from that. And that's, that's no small thing. I mean, you know, I love to consider myself a builder too. I mean, and these projects are worthwhile, but um, I don't know. Musicians never seem to tire. So, and you certainly don't have that look of someone who's going to sit back and say, well, it's time now just to go have a drink and sit on the beach. <laughs> No, I will never slow down. I must say, after Seattle, I did take a few years where uh, a couple of auctions were offered to me, and I, uh, I just didn't want to do that again. I had, I, I had done my music mm-hmm. career. You know, I was there 26 years plus two years before that, so it was actually 28 years. And oh. a lot of pressure, pressure to, to get a better life for the musicians, to service the community, to, to service the composers. I mean, it's a huge amount that you have to carry Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, other people carry it with you. You don't carry it alone. But and and, and so for a few years, I, I did a lot of composing and uh, and I and I stepped back a little bit. But then I said, you know, this is something I really know about. I know mm-hmm. how to be a director. I know this world, and I'm I'm going to get back in. And so, what's been very lucky for me is to be involved. Well, in many things, but especially these two Florida positions I have. One at the Frost School, which is just a joy. You, can, you know, with a school, you can have an idea. And we have one of the great deans of all time, a guy named Shelley Berg. You have an idea and say, Shelley, what do you think of this? Yes, this is normal answer. I mean. Fantastic. What's going on here now is just, uh, yes, it, you never slow down because you can't. because it's too exciting. The same thing in Palm the same thing at the Eastern Music Festival, and quite frankly, the same thing with the All Stars. So these four things going on now, every day is something exciting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Slow down as long as as long as I'm in, in, in the kind of health I'm in. Uh, yeah, slow down. That's fantastic. And you know, you were you were always recognized, I believe, as a conductor who didn't want to guest conduct all around the world all the time. You really wanted to stay with your individual projects. Is that is that right? 
you wanted to put your energy there. Well, you think about this. I have four children, and they've all, they all grew up, uh, uh, the two of them, the youngest two, which are now, well, they're, the youngest, I guess, is 30 now. So anyway, the, the youngest two were born in Seattle, and the older two came to Seattle. And I was able to be, to a, to a point, a, a, a normal parent. Uh, yes, I did some mm. things, of course, and I had my orchestra in Liverpool and so forth. But I had the privilege, not only of building Seattle, but living there as a father and a husband. Mm-hmm. And, and w- w- how lucky was I? Uh, <laughs> exactly. <and laughs> that, that continues. It, 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 you think about your life. It's oh, guest conducting is wonderful. I love guest. It's really fun. You learn a lot. It's remarkable. But when you build something like we did in Seattle, it's, it's nothing, nothing like that. To to walk uh, around Benaroya Hall, which is one of the great concert halls in the world, at least I think so, is it, such an honor that I was allowed to be part of it, to be part of building it, to be to making the major decisions about about mm-hmm. the acquisition and the architect and. And everything about the hall, I mean, that was that was a, a great gift. And so, if you if you're running around the world conducting everywhere, which is fun, and I and I do it somewhat, I like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as making an impact, you know? right? And, and I think, I mean, I, I remember once uh, my dear friend Leonard Slavkin said how how he felt uh, I was so lucky to have been able to be grounded in Seattle and, mm-hmm. and my family there. And mm-hmm. uh, well, I agree with him. Do you miss the Pacific Northwest? Of course. I love Seattle. I loved our yeah. house. I loved our neighborhood. I even like the rain, believe it or not. <laughs> the rain is wonderful. But it, it, what's interesting for me, after all those years there, I thought if at my age, if I was ever going to do anything of significance beyond Seattle, mm-hmm. I, had, I couldn't do I mean, I've done, I did my job there. I built the orchestra. We made hundreds of recordings. We, we built a concert hall, built an audience. You know, when I came, there were 5,000 subscribers. When I left, there were 40,000 subscribers. Mm. I mean, a, whole, a whole new world. But I felt that what I was trying to do in terms of education and, and building an audience, that was mm-hmm. the, you know, the idea that we could go on public television and, and have a library of great works that you can watch by going on the allstarworks.org website or go on YouTube. I mean, what we've done, uh, I think we have something like 7 million students uh, following us. It's, it's, quite, it's quite incredible. Quite, it was a dream. And, and I thought, I can't do that dream. And then also, because that's a real conflict. Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. And so tell, tell me about the All-Star Orchestra. How, how, what was the evolution of this? Well, that, basically, that was it. Uh, it, was, it was my last contract in Seattle. And uh, when I signed it, I went home and told my wife, I said, I just signed a new three-year contract, but that's it. This is my last one because I want to do something else. And Jody mm-hmm. is always with me. She said, great. So we thought, what do I want to do? I, I want to build a, a, a larger audience for classical music, and I want to educate as much as I can. So how can you do that? Well, building the audience, I felt, was through television. Um, make it free, make it available, not on cable. Not that I'm against cable. I like cable. But uh, if you yeah. do it on public television, everyone can have it. It's free. If you have a TV set, you got it. And we're in 90% of the public stations. 
Then I wanted to do an educational component to that. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, we were working with the Khan Academy. And that's you know where we got so millions of students involved. So the idea was to educate and to, to, to make classical music not a peripheral idea for uh, our cultural lives, but integral to our cultural lives. Okay. There are very few people that really love what we love. So if, if 5% of the people in the, in the country love, love classical, care about classical music, wow, what would it be like if there were 10%? Or twenty percent. So that was that was what I really wanted to do initially. And I and I, you know, we've done 20, 21, 22 shows. We're doing four more shows this year with with maybe the greatest orchestra. There's nothing said no such thing with a really great orchestra. And um, so that that was the genesis of that. And it continues. And it's the most fun. You know, we get together all these musicians who many of whom know each other. All of whom I choose, together with uh, you know my executive director Paul Schwendener and our personal managers, and they and and we're there just to enjoy music, and and they everyone in the orchestra knows the repertoire, so no one's coming having to learn how to play the notes in Daphnis and Chloe. They can play the notes; they play Daphnis and Chloe. Right. So okay. you're, not, you're not building an orchestra, but rather you're taking the best, and you try to do it. We try to do it from orchestras all over the country to, to, so that it wouldn't be a New York show or a Seattle show or, or Cleveland show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rather, there are 32 major orchestras. We want to get as many, uh, many variety of people, of course, that I know and that I've worked with and who have uh, concepts similar to, to mine so that you're not, in a sense, someone would say, oh, you can't throw a bunch of musicians together and make a cohesive ensemble. Oh, really? Listen to our shows. Listen yeah, you can. To Sibelius, <laughs> to these pieces, and you can hear that you pick the right people who are who are sensitive, fine musicians with experience, no repertoire, who will follow the conductor. Uh, it's just thrilling. And for me, you know, so many of the musicians are, are dear friends for many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it, uh, uh, some of them I went to school. Some of them my wife went to school. It's a Juilliard. I mean, it's it's just uh, uh, exciting for all of us. I, I love it. I no. love it. the circle is complete, so to speak. Yes. No. I love that. And the word star. I mean, you are a star. You've got that star quality, and you're bringing that to the masses as well because all-star orchestra, all-star basketball team. I mean, you know, we're, we're out there. <laughs> you got it exactly. I remember when we first, when we first started thinking about this uh, and we were, <laughs> were all Seattle folks, dear friends. And I said, okay, I want to call it the all-star orchestra. And, uh, oh, no, no, maybe it's the all-star classical orchestra or the all-star orchestra for the classics or something. And I said, no, no, no. I want it to be the all-star. Well, then it could be a jazz band. Exactly. It could be the all-star basketball team or the all-star baseball team. Yeah. Exactly that. What you're trying to do is make it comfortable, not not put people off. Not intimidating. Mm -hmm. People think if you don't wear tails, if you wear dungarees or or jeans or whatever, that people would be more inclined to go to. I mean, that's ridiculous. And it, it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. On the other hand, you try to make it accessible and easy. That's certainly true. Uh, it's, it's not about it's it's not about what you wear, but it can be about what you're called. And so that's why we're the all-star orchestra. 
That's right. That represents you well. I adore that. Thank you, Pamela. Now, now listen, you've given me so much time and I so appreciate it, but I have two more questions. And the first being, I, I, I have a feeling how you're going to answer this, of course, coming as you did from a loving family. Um, you have the advantage now of being able to perform with your children. Um, it must be very gratifying. It's for a parent to, I, my oldest daughter is a surgeon and she lives in Milwaukee and she's a great surgeon. There's, mm-hmm. I, I can be of no help to her. Mm-hmm. I can't tell her how to do surgery. I, can't, I mean, sometimes because she's the head of surgery at her hospital, she can call me if she has an issue, but she doesn't do it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, imagine what it's like when you have a, a child who actually is in your field. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, now my son, Julian, who's one of the greatest cellists in the world, he doesn't come to me and ask me, and he doesn't play for me. <laughs> but uh, he's, we're in the same world. And yeah. if he needs some help, I could help him. But the thing we do do together two or three times a year is to play together. And that oh. is one of the greatest thrills. Because here I'm conducting, and there's my son, I think, you know, one of the great musicians I've ever worked with. And and he's a he's a, a mensch, a really wonderful young man. And for me, what, what could be more? Uh, I mean, I love all my children, obviously. Mm-hmm. But in mm-hmm. terms of performing, he's the one that I I can work with, and it is it's a real thrill. And you are learning from him as well. Well, it's always like that. I mean, uh, you know, you talked about behind the baton. I did a couple of behind the batons with with Julian, and. Even on the shows, we don't always agree about everything. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. No, uh, it, it, it's just wonderful to to learn from him, and hopefully, maybe on occasion, he might learn from me too. That's so fantastic. Now, I, because I'm coming to you from Eastern Oregon, I just have to bring a blast from the past. So it was mentioned to me that when you were playing trumpet, you actually did a recording with a wonderful bassoonist by the name of Julie Phoebus. Oh, yeah. Do you remember this? How do you know Julie Phoebus? I have to ask you. I'm sorry. So because I am the age I am and I come out of her generation um, and I grew up in Eastern Oregon, she did as well. And the Phoebus family were, were, were quite elite in Pendleton, Oregon. And I came from a town nearby and, and our paths crossed with the, the entire family many, many times. And, and some of the other notables out of this area, which is interesting, Jerry, in Hermiston, Oregon, where I'm speaking to you from where you right now. Let's see, I left, I left high school in uh, 1970 and went on. Kelly Kuo, the young conductor, who is now the head of Reno Symphony and, and several other small symphony orchestras and opera houses, he originally came from Hermiston, Oregon. Another violinist by the name of, of um, Ron Blessinger, who now, who now is playing in Germany, came from this area. Wow. And going back a little further, I mean, Thomas Hampson, if we retrace his steps from Washington State. So it's, it's always interesting to me in these rural areas how there is that spark, you know, that, that, that grows and we find a way to find ourselves out in the world. So um, it was, it was- Julie and I were at Juilliard at the same time. And, uh, and she was, she probably still is, but she was a beautiful bassoonist. And there was a, a wonderful harpsichord player named Helen Katz. And I, I always loved making records. I, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I made mm-hmm. 50, so you figure that's something I care about. And I was yeah. in the 
American Brass Quintet, and we were doing some recording. That was very exciting. And I thought, gee, I'd like to do a solo recording. Now, you want to do something, you're going to hire an orchestra? It's not possible. Mm. Afford that. Uh, but I had some pieces by the two early Baroque composers, Frescobaldi and Fontana. Both of them were sonatas, but they were written for an unspecified instrument. could be played by any treble instrument. So with the recorder or a violin or whatever. So I don't know. It's made for me uh, because I was a treble instrument. And the accompaniment or the, the, not the, company, the chamber group was a bassoon, a harpsichord, and a trumpet. So I went to Julian to hell and I said, hey, I'd like to make this recording of Frescobaldi and Fontana. It was, I think I was 19, 18 or 19, as they were. And um, we did it. And we had a ball. We made the recording. And it was called The Age of Splendor. And... Um, you know, it's not bad. I, I, well, I, not long ago, Noxos Records put out a, a, box, a 30, uh, 30 CD box called the Gerard Schwartz Collection. The idea for that collection was pieces that either never came out on CD or were deleted. Uh, you know, I, mean, I did, did a recording with Gunther Schuller that Columbia had. It was long deleted. It was things like that that you can't get. And I and among the pieces are some of those uh, a few of those Frescobaldi Fontana pieces because that was on a, a record label called Desto and that Desto's long gone never came out on CD and I thought wouldn't that be fun to put a few of those on from from those oh, days oh yes so I listened to them and I said you know they're not bad I, I, was, I was pretty good and Julie <laughs> Julie sounded wonderful and, and Hallow as well. That's so brilliant. That's so brilliant. We can share that. You will never get that from any other interviewer. I tell you right now. <laughs> that came through your friends at the Eugene Symphony, actually, that pointed that out to me. Exactly. Listen, you've been so generous with, with your time, Jerry. I mean, you, you're so gracious. You're so filled with life. I, I adore this. I wish every guest could be this way. <laughs> Thank you. I, look I try. So being together, not just uh, uh, verbally, but actually physically being somehow we can meet sometime. It's just a joy. We will meet in Palm Beach. I tell you, on Worth Avenue, I know a nice little restaurant we can just dip into. And just before we go, if there is one word or phrase, just just what comes to the top of your head that describes the heart of who you are, of who you are. I don't know. The, a single word that came to my mind was perseverance, because we conductors, that's what you, you have to persevere all of the issues that are thrown in your in your way. Um, f- for me, it's, uh, uh, you know, the joie de vie, the joy of life. Gerard Schwartz has had a magical life as a musician and conductor. What he offers all of us is his lasting joy for music and the path that he forges for the musicians of tomorrow. Please go to masterperformers.com and gerardschwartz.com for more information on this significant artist. And I hope you will visit Center Stage with PamelaCoon.com for more information on my show and the complete unedited Zoom conversation with Maestro Schwartz. In the meantime, stay safe out there. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage. Mm-hmm.